Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. A little belated, but it's still the same weekend, so happy Thanksgiving to you. And as tradition uh, has it, we will uh, have a, a message about Thanksgiving this morning. But this actually marks a very, very special day to me, and it just happened to land on this particular Sunday. And for those of you who like numbers, <clears throat> this, date ha- this day has a number associated with it. And that number is 11,777. So just tuck that away in the back of your mind. The number of this day, to me, is 11,777. And I'll explain what that means in a few minutes. But uh, it's a special day. Of all the characters in the Bible, David stands out to me as a man whose heart was filled with thanksgiving. Perhaps I think of him that way because of how many psalms God inspired him to write, and they are filled with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And that may be why. Um, He left those for us to read and to enjoy. Or maybe I think of him that way because out of the dark winter of his trials, there always seems to spring new life uh, that seems to break forth from his lips as he prays the Lord. The very first occurrence of the word thanks in the Bible, and we always look for that when we study the scripture, when we're doing a word study, we always look for the first occurrence. And the very first occurrence came from David's lips. And they're found in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 50. And so let's just read that first, 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty. Oh, you guys are great. I never asked you to do that, but awesome. Um, Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praise or praises to your name. And so what is the context of this uh, passage? And that's what we want to look at this morning, the context of 2 Samuel 22.50. David is actually praising the Lord here and thanking the Lord for delivering him from his enemies. And it's at a time in his life when he's had a lot of them. And he's just pausing for a moment, looking back at his uh, history And saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for me. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. And really, this is the end of the song that he sings here. And it ends with thanksgiving. This song that we find in 2 Samuel is found with nearly identical words in Psalm 18. But here David looks back over the years of his life and he recalls all of the hard times when his enemies rose against him. You remember some of those times, the time when the lion came and he took a uh, lamb from his flock and David beat him up and killed him. You remember the time when the bear came and did the same and David beat him up and killed him. And that prompted David to stand boldly before King Saul and say, God delivered me from the jaws of the lion, from the paw of the bear. Most certainly, he can deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath. 
Well, that's a pretty big enemy. But God used David to defeat Goliath as well. And Goliath was not only David's enemy, but he was the enemy of the people of Israel, an enemy of God. And God brought him down. And so David looks back at these occasions in his life. And then there was King Saul, his father-in-law, who threw spears at him at the dinner table and chased him like an animal through the hills of Israel and at times forced David out of his own country. It would include all of the attempts at his life, the uprising against him by his own son and being betrayed by those whom he had counted as personal friends and advisors. It had to include the hostility by men like Nabal. Remember Nabal, whose name means fool? And Shimei, who, as David was fleeing Israel, was, or Jerusalem, was uh, mocking him and scorning him. Those bitter events and the sorrow they caused David's heart did not rob him of the settled peace that he had in knowing God and knowing that God was in complete control um, of his life and the settled peace that even when things seem impossible, God is on the throne. David had his troubles, but God delivered him out of all his troubles. And reflecting upon this, David looks back and he ends this song, Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and, pray, and sing praises to your name. Every need he had was supplied by God who is greater than every circumstance, more powerful than every contrary wind that assails us, and by the one who laughs at the storms that we think are going to sink us. That is the God we serve. We can look back at what he's done in our lives and give him thanks as well. And so if you look at verses 2 and 3 in this passage, David describes the Lord this way. He says, he is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my strength, and so on. But I want to just look at this, uh, these two verses this way. When you think you are sinking in quicksand, say, he is my rock. When you think you are exposed on every side, say, He is my fortress. When you think you are trapped or imprisoned, say, He is my deliverer. When you feel weak, say, He is my strength. When you think you are defenseless, say, He is my shield. When your enemies strike at you, say, He is the horn of my salvation. And when it appears that no one can save you, say, He is my Savior. And when you are threatened with violent attacks, say, he saves me from violence. That's what David is saying here, because that's what God did for David. David testifies that enemies, waves of death, floods of ungodliness, fear, sorrow, hell itself, snares of death were no match for the Lord God upon which David called. David cried out in his distress, and the Lord heard him and answered by moving heaven and earth to save the object of his love. And you, child of God, are the object of God's love. Don't forget it. What's your problem this morning? What's your problem? What's your trial today? 
What's the difficulty you are facing? What distress has come upon you? What is overwhelming you right now? Do you feel like you're drowning in sorrow? Do you sense that your enemies are too strong for you? Do you feel confrontation every day and calamity all around you? Well, then you're in good company with David. And David said in 2 Samuel 22:20, 20, He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And you can just sense <clears throat> the feeling that David had of being confined and restricted and uh, bound up. And he says, no. What God did for me is that he, brought, he broke the chains free and he set me on a broad place. And he delights in you, O child of God. He delights in you, just like he delighted in David. And he is willing and he is able to deliver you and to bring you into the broad place of sunshine and peace as well. The Bible says weeping may endure for an evening or for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's not that life is going to be without trials, but there is an end. Just as God marked the seashore and told the proud and angry waves, thus far shall your proud waves go and no further, so God says to our trials the same thing. He does not allow us to be tested beyond what we are able. David goes on to say, <clears throat> when you seem to be, I'm going to say it this way, when you seem to be in darkness, say, you are my lamp, O Lord, verse 29. When you are surrounded by an army and closed in by a wall, say, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. And when the arrows of the enemy are falling all around you, say, he is a shield to all who trust in him. Well, there's so much more <clears throat> in this psalm, but it all leads to the same conclusion. The Lord God of heaven is the only one who can and the only one who does deliver us. And David concludes this psalm recognizing that it was not his own cleverness, it was not his own wisdom, it was not his own might that gave him the victory. It was the Lord. Listen as we hear David say, Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. And today, this should be my conclusion as well. As I look back at my life, and as you look back at your life, it was the Lord who did all of these things for me, who did all of these things for you, and our refrain should be like David's. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. Now, I handed out a piece of paper at the beginning, or somebody did, <clears throat> and I decided I would look at um, every time the phrase or the words are found in the scripture, just two words, give thanks. And you know that it's found almost a hundred times in the scripture. And so look at your sheet, and I wrote some of them. I didn't write them all out, but some of them are there. Give thanks for what? Why should we give thanks? Sometimes we struggle and we say, well, I don't, I don't even know what to give thanks for. Well, here's a, a list. For deliverance from enemies. Three times, four times that's found in the scripture. Give thanks for he is good. Just, just the sheer fact that God is good. 
Do you know that there are people who worship idols, and those idols are not good idols. They, they are terrible gods. But our God, the only God, is a good God. For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Many, many times in the scripture it says that. Um, we praise God for deliverance from sickness. Psalm 30, verses 4 and 12. For protection from friends who turned traitors. Some of you have faced that. I have faced that. For his righteous judgments. Give thanks because he cares for the afflicted and poor. You know, that's an interesting thing. If you find yourself in affliction or you find yourself in a, in a, a position where you're poor, give thanks to the Lord. You're in a very special place. The Lord cares for you in a very special way in that condition. Praise the Lord. Give thanks for his goodness. Give thanks for he is near. Give thanks just because it's the right thing to do. Give thanks when you remember who he is. Give thanks when we are gathered together. And then it's interesting as you look in the New Testament, uh, Paul thanks the Lord for his co-workers and he thanks the Lord for the saints of the churches, and he thanks the Lord for what Jesus Christ has done in the lives of the saints. There's so much for which we should give thanks to the Lord. In fact, the scripture actually says that it is God's will for us. Do you know, some of, some of you, or some of the young people in particular say, what's God's will for my life? Well, one of the things that I know with certainty is it's God's will for your life to give him thanks. Absolute certainty. It says that. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything. It was uh, Thursday, August 29th, 1985. And Krista and I were living in a condo our townhouse in San Lorenzo, actually not too far from where Gary and Beth currently live, just down the street from them. And uh, that night, Krista made pizza for dinner, and I came home from my office next to Fairhaven, and um, we had supper together. And then after dinner, um, we played for a while into the early evening with our little nine-month-old Rachel, and she liked hanging. For, we had these open staircase um, you know, where you could see right through them. And uh, we used to hang a jumper. Do they call it a jolly jumper? Is that what you call it? And she used to <clears throat> get in there and bounce up and down like a yo-yo. And uh, so probably that night, that's what she did. And before Krista nursed her and put her, uh, um, you know, we played with her before uh, Krista nursed her and put her to bed. Then we cleaned up <clears throat> the condo and, or the townhouse and uh, we retired to bed because the next morning I had to get up very early to drive uh, Bill McDonald and Carl Knott to the airport. This was Labor Day weekend. And um, they had been asked to speak at a conference back east, and they asked me if I would take them to the airport uh, that next morning. And I think I had to get them there by 5 o'clock. <clears throat> so we decided to go to bed early and, and go to sleep. In the early mornings of Friday, August 30th, I was jolted awake by a severe burning pain in my abdomen, my stomach, and my right side. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, that pizza had a lot of tomato sauce on it. That's... 
maybe too too rich for me or something like that. And <clears throat> as I was, you know, feeling pain in my lower abdomen, I I tried to just ignore the pain, so I rolled over and I went back to sleep, as every healthy person should do. So I woke up early in the morning. I <clears throat> picked up Bill and Carl, took them to the airport at 5 o'clock, and my stomach was really feeling weird. I thought, well, must mean I'm hungry. So I drove back towards the office, and um, I, was, I thought, oh, you know what? There's a Winchell's Donut just down the street. So I went down Foothill Boulevard to Winchell's Donuts, and I bought a couple of donuts and the biggest coffee I could find and went to the office because my stomach seemed like it was growling. So I ate the donuts and drank down the coffee. And then the pain returned, and I was not feeling too good. But I just pushed through the pain, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. And around 10 o'clock in the morning, I called Kristen. I said, I don't feel very good, and I'm going to come home. So before I left the office, I called the doctor's office, and I told them, I said, I don't know what's the matter with me, but something is terribly wrong, and I need to see the doctor today. And his nurse said, well, this is Labor Day weekend. I said, yeah, I know that. She says, we are book solid, and he has an appointment uh, early this evening where he's speaking, and he's got to get out of the office early, so we don't have any time for you. I persisted, thankfully, and and she said, uh, okay, well, look, we'll squeeze you in at the very end of the day, but you better be here at 4.15. I said, I'll be there. So she says, he's going to look at you, 15 minutes tops, and he's out of here. I said, okay. <clears throat> so I had my marching orders, <clears throat> and I went home. And uh, while I was lying in bed, the pain subsided, and I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't go at all. But I knew something was happening inside of me. So when I got out of bed, went to the doctor's office, the pain returned somewhat, just sharp pains. And, and uh, I said to Chris, I said, I think you better drive because I don't think I'm coming home tonight. I said, I think I'm going to the hospital. She said, what? I said, yeah, just you drive, okay? So we went to the doctor's office and he saw me and I had no symptoms whatsoever. And he gave me a complete once-over, and he asked all the right questions. Do you feel pain? No. Are you experiencing diarrhea? No. Have you lost your appetite? No. What did you eat last night? Pizza. What did you eat this morning? Donuts and coffee. And, you know, some snacks to try to make me, my stomach feel better. Do you feel nausea? No. Do you feel like vomiting? No. Do you feel hot or cold? No, I don't. He said, you know, your color's good. You don't feel any pain. You walked in here with no trouble. Your vitals are all good. He felt around my stomach and my intestines and, and pushed and prodded and nothing. And he watched to see if I would wince where he touched me around my abdomen or whether I would demonstrate any guarding, you know, uh, when he put extra pressure here and there. And then he pressed really hard. And they do what is called a bounce test or a bump test. And basically you push in at a particular area where you're... Um, appendix is, and if you let go real fast, the skin bounces back out, and it's supposed to cause excruciating pain. And he did that, and nothing happened. He says, I don't have a clue what's wrong with you. And he said, and I've got an appointment. I've got to go. So he said, um, I'm going to send Dr. Walker in here. He's my assistant, and uh, he'll take a look at you. And he says, I'm, I'm out of here. See ya. So off he went. 
So the second doctor came in and he went through all the same thing all over again, nothing. And I said, well, what am I supposed to demonstrate? What am I supposed to show? And um, so he gave me a list of things that should be the symptoms, and I had none of them. He said, if you had appendix, appendicitis, you'd be in pain. The rebound test uh, would be difficult to endure. Your color would be white. You'd likely have a fever. You'd feel sick, and you exhibit none of these things. Anyway, he says, go ahead and get dressed. And he said, um, uh, I'll, you know, you can pay at the desk. I said, okay. So he walked out of the office, and Krista was standing right there, and I said, I guess there's nothing wrong with me. And I stood up, and I nearly collapsed on the floor. And my body turned instantly white, and I began to shake like a leaf. I was freezing cold to the bone, and I felt like vomiting, and I felt absolutely the worst I have ever felt in my life. I put my clothes on, and I walked the few steps to his office, and he looked up from his desk, and he went, what just happened to you? It was that drastic a change in just minutes. And uh, he says, you're going to the hospital right now. He says, I'm calling an ambulance. And he says, you're, you're going in for surgery right now. And I said, look, our car's right out here. The hospital's just blocks away. My wife will drive me. You call the ER and make things ready. So we drove to the ER, to the hospital, and um, we got there in a few minutes, and they were waiting there with a wheelchair, and the nurse asked me, are you always this white? <laughs> I said, no, apparently not. Uh, it was now about 6 p.m. on Friday, Labor Day weekend, and they had called one surgeon after another to come in and do surgery. They were all gone for the weekend. Nobody was on call that weekend. I mean, nobody was there that weekend, I should say. So they did call the doctor who was on call, and she told me, she said, I, I've reached him, and uh, she says, he's the, he's the surgeon on call. I said, really, who is he? She says, the chief of surgery. I said, okay, that'll do. <laughs> so he quickly came to the hospital as they were prepping me for surgery, and I said goodbye to Krista, and they wheeled me up to the operating room, and in my troubles... I cried out to the Lord. I had no idea how sick I was. And um, I just committed my life to him and my life uh, for his safekeeping. Then I lay there on the uh, operating table. I was so cold. And they have temperatures to make it easy for the doctors, but not easy for the patient. And then they brought this very warm blanket and placed it over me and didn't help a bit. But it was nice, but it didn't help a bit. And uh, the anesthesiologist came in, and uh, he said, now I want you to count to 10 backwards. He goes, oh, I said, okay, 10, 9, and I was right out. The next thing I remember is waking up <clears throat> uh, in the recovery room, and there was a male nurse standing over me taking my vitals. And he looked down at me, and he said, well, he said, you made it. He says, many people don't live through what you just went through. He says, you are a very sick man. So I asked him what happened. And he told me that my appendix had ruptured and that I was infected throughout my abdomen. And he said, uh, did you feel any pain? I said, sure, last night. He says, last night? I said, yeah. He said, no wonder you're so sick. 
He said, I, he said let, let me describe it to you this way. He said, just imagine the contents of your innards being in a place where they shouldn't be. And he said, there's a place called the peritoneum that is supposed to be clean and tidy and pure and sanitary. And he says, and it very, very much wasn't. And uh, he said, the sterile environment of your vital organs was filled with stuff that it shouldn't be filled with. And he says, the doctor had to uh, uh, wash you out several times. And he says, you'll notice there's a tube hanging out of you. And he said, that's to drain everything that still remains. And uh, he said, we were concerned that the bacteria would, uh, the blood would be infected with the bacteria and ultimately would trigger an inflammatory response throughout your body called sepsis, Daniel. That's what sepsis is. That's what he's studying right now. <laughs> he said, the doctor rinsed you out several times to prevent further infection. And he said, you're going to be sick for a while. So for the next 10 days, I lay in the hospital as they irrigated me and they um, gave me antibiotics, and he said to me as his final parting shot as he left the room, he said, you shouldn't be alive. I said, thanks. <laughs> but I realized at that moment <clears throat> that God spared my life. And, you know, I, I have a... My father's mother died when my dad was... Um, I think he was six. My, my grandmother, who I never met, um, was a nurse. And she worked in a hospital. And she developed pneumonia at a time when there were no antibiotics. And she died from that. And I think, wow, I live in a different time, a different era, a different day and age where we have things like that, but I tell you, I don't credit those things. I don't credit the surgeon, I don't credit the doctors, I don't credit the nursing staff. I mean, I'm thankful for them. I don't, I don't credit any of that. I, I credit the Lord. I give thanks to the Lord. You shouldn't be alive. And I realized that God had spared my life, and from that moment on until today, I have been living on borrowed time. I bear in my body a four-inch scar that is a horizontal scar just below the waistline that reminds me every time I see it that I am well past my expiration date. Psalm 30, verses 2 and four, two to 4 says this, O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from the grave. You have kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. And then verse 12 says, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I have many reasons to give thanks to the Lord, not only for the outcome of that event, but had I died that night there would be no Sharon. There would be no Luke. There would be no Marion or David or Daniel or Christine. And there would be no impact from any of the ministries that they have had or will have in their life. I give thanks to the Lord. There would be no Mr. and Mrs. Luke and Jen Robertson. There would be no just Justin. Life actually would be different for all of us. I think of ministries that never would have existed. 
events that would have been completely different. And because I knew I was living on borrowed time, it really did make a difference in our outreach day by day. And as I look back at how the Lord has used us to reach out to others, I know that there would have been missionaries who may have given up and come home. Ministries that may have taken a different direction. There are books that would have never made it to press. And believers who may have never been taught the truth. People throughout the world who never would have heard the gospel. There would never have been a DNK press. There never would have been a neighborhood or neighbors who had heard the gospel through our lips. Ultimate questions distribution in San Lorenzo, San Leandro, other cities, and even nations that would never have received the gospel, certainly not that way. And I dare say that there would be none of us sitting here this morning. Things would be different. Your lives would be different too. One day in 2006, this young lady sitting in the front row's husband, Bob Rutten, called me, and we had a meeting in his office. And we discussed the purchase and the transfer of this property to Calvary Bible Chapel. That meeting never would have taken place. And on December 3rd, 2006, we met for the first time at this property, and we worshiped the Lord together. And we are just one week shy of 11 years uh, today. You sit on chairs in a building with a design and textures and colors that bear my fingerprints, fingerprints that would not have been here had the Lord decided to take me home that night. And I'm not trying to take credit for these things. That's not my point here. My point is things would be different. But because of the Lord, I am simply an instrument in his hand, and perhaps he would have used another instrument. He probably would have. But what I know is that everything would be different than it is. And my purpose in bringing it up is that this morning, I have actually reached a milestone in my life. And it has to do with that number that I told you about at the beginning, 11,777. That's the number of days the Lord has given me to serve him from that day when that nurse told me, you should be dead. Now, had we met tomorrow instead, it would have been 11,778, and that's just as special as today. But it's every day is a special day that I can stop at the end of the day and say, Lord, thank you. You've given me one more day that I didn't have. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. And because of his rich blessings, I just want to give thanks to the Lord this morning. Give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And I am still living on borrowed time. I don't know if the Lord will give me tomorrow. Now, when we look back at David's life, his life was not always a mountaintop experience. There were times of great suffering too. But through it all, David 
consistently gave thanks. Think about David's life. He had a father-in-law who hated him, wished he had never let him marry his daughter, who sought to destroy him at every turn. He threw spears at him, chased him throughout the hills and valleys of Israel, and yet David did not sin against him. Saul pushed hard to bring David down. David had a son who rose against him, tried to discredit him, and did whatever he could to destroy him. Absalom wanted to overthrow the throne of David and bring him down. Some of you have experienced or are experiencing serious problems with in-laws, near relatives, children, spouse, parents, siblings. So we can share in the same experiences that are described in the scripture. And as you look at some of the things that you're suffering, it's shameful, it's hurtful, it's painful, and it's evil. And through it, we realize some small measure of the sufferings of Christ. That means the sufferings that Christ went through on our behalf. He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And this is what David said about suffering at the hands of Saul and Absalom in in not only 2 Samuel 22, but in Psalm 18, he says this, He delivers me from my enemies. Now David is saying this in a way of rejoicing. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man, therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. When the Lord delivers you, as he surely will, from your enemies, give thanks to the Lord. When the Lord defends you against those who rise against you without a cause, as he surely will, give thanks to the Lord. When the Lord protects you from those who want to commit violence against you, as he surely will, give thanks to the Lord. In everything, give thanks to the Lord. Many of you have suffered physical illness. And you can this morning thank the Lord for his healing. But not all suffering is physical. We also suffer mental or emotional illnesses. And although you see no scars, the wounds are just as deep and just as painful. David faced terrible emotional and and, uh, psychological problems. And what I mean by that is is this. You can imagine being David and having many, many close friends and, and trusted advisors who at a time in his life turned traitor on him. I, I, being being uh, the, the object of a traitor is, is overwhelming. It's, it's almost like your mind is going tilt, tilt, tilt. I, I don't get this. How could this have happened? And in Psalm 35, we read that some of David's closest friends and advisors turned on him. They became traitors. They took advantage of him. They rewarded him evil for good, causing him sorrow. And you can almost hear David's head reeling as he tries to wrap his brain around what's happening. And when his friends were hurting, when when they were hurting themselves, when they were in trouble, when they were sick, David cared for them. 
But now that, the ta- that David was hurting, they abandoned him. David was there for, his, <clears throat> for their deepest need. In Psalm 35, 12, it says, When they were sick, he mourned with them and humbled himself with fasting. And he paced the floor as... Uh, he placed the floor with him as if uh, he was mourning the death of his own mother. And although David was there for them and assisted them when their loved ones were dying, comforted them in their personal sorrow, cheered them on to greater service for the Lord, they did not remember him in his suffering. He mourned with those who mourned. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced. But they abandoned him in his time of greatest need. David was forsaken, not by his enemies, but by his own family and friends. And he wrote in Psalm 41.9, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. It's a shocking statement when you read it. And it's not a physical wound. It goes much, much deeper than that. And this traitor's behavior repeats itself over and over again in Scripture. And you can think of saints of old who have experienced it. I think of Job, whose friends turned against him over and over again. And you read this stuff and you, you think to yourself, would you just shut up? You did so well when you kept your mouth shut. and were just there for him. And as soon as they opened their mouth, they threw him under the bus. Joseph with his brothers, Moses with the entire nation, David and Paul. But it's especially true of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul describes his suffering this way. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. And then he says in the next verse, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I think of Paul having reached out to so many people, winning them to the Lord, helping them in their Christian walk, and then when he is tried and is at his first defense, there's nobody there. He's abandoned. He's by himself. But he says, no, I wasn't by myself. The Lord was with me. When it happened to David in Psalm 35, he says, plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. And then the rest of the psalm goes on, and he kind of rests in the Lord and says this, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. I will praise you among many people. With David, thanksgiving seems to reverberate throughout the trials of life, and this is what I find so interesting and challenging this morning. Although I cannot claim to have gone through anything near the deep trials that David went through or any of those saints that we talked about, I have shared what I would say is the fringes of these things. And all of us, all of us this morning go through trials. All of us go through difficulties, sickness, loss. But through it, we can learn to trust the Lord and recognize that the Lord does not abandon us. He does not leave us. He does not forsake us. I was watching a television show the other day, probably two weeks ago, I'd never seen it before, and it's, I can't remember the title of it, but there was a story that was told, a uh, true story, of a <clears throat> lady who was trying to um, find her birth mother. And, um, 
as they developed the story, it turned out that at four years old, this girl was driven to a place in another town, and her um, mother was driving, and she and her half-sister were in the car, and they got to this place out in front of a house, and the mom said, you see that house over there? You girls go up to that front, front door. And she says, I want you to give this envelope to the lady who answers the door. And so the, the four-year-old girl took the envelope, and she got out of the car with her sister and began walking up to the, the front of the house. And as the girls got towards the stairs, the mom floored it and took off down the road, and that was the last time that that girl ever saw her mother. And <clears throat> it turned out that the woman in the home was <clears throat> the grandmother of the other girl. And uh, this woman, woman goes on to tell the story of how, as a little girl, she would come down the stairs. She didn't have a really good relationship with the grandmother, apparently. And she would come out <clears throat> the stairs, and she would go to the front road, and she would sit down on the sidewalk edge waiting for her mom to return. And it happened over and over again for years. And, of course, the mother never came back. And so as an adult, <clears throat> she was looking for her mom and seeing if she could find her. And the thought that struck me as I, as I watched that, you know, there are times in our lives when we may feel abandoned by others. We may feel abandoned completely. The reality is there's something that God cannot do. Do you know that? Something that God cannot do. And he says it in the scripture, I will never <laughs> leave you nor forsake you. So I don't know the trials you're going through. I don't know <clears throat> how hard they are in your life. But I will tell you this, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And for that, we, that promise alone, we can give thanks to the Lord this morning. I don't know about you, but I feel like I have been given 11,777 days that didn't belong to me. And each day is a new gift from the Lord, and I want each day to count for Him. And at the end of the day, before I close with my Excuse me. When I close with my last amen, I hope it's preceded by thank you, Lord. Several years ago, I, I was out hiking, and I heard a song for the first time that I, that I had ever heard it. <clears throat> and it was called, Bless Your Holy Name Again. And to me, if you, as we have it played, um, the words will be up on the screen. But here's what it reminds me of. It, it reminds me of a man who at the end of the day <clears throat> looks back at his day and looks back at his life and, he, and he's saying, I'm overwhelmed by all the things that I need. Everything that I could be asking you for right now. Before I go to bed, in case I forget, let me just dump on you one more time, Lord. 
the things that I, I need. And he pauses, and he just says, Lord, I just want to bless you with my praise. It reminds me of the leper who was healed, and he walked away from the Lord, and then he paused, and he says, no, 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 this isn't right. And he just turned and said, Lord, thank you. And make it a practice at the end of the day, as harrowing and tough and rotten as the day may have been in your mind, just pause and say, thank you, Lord. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, go ahead and and play the song. Lord, this morning, we do want to thank you, and we do want to praise you. We have been blessed so much. And Lord, all of the trials and difficulties of life have really brought us closer to you. Why would we disdain those things? Lord, I think of how you have spared every one of us. Lord, I tell a story of 11,777 days, but I know that you've given all of us, many of us, much more than that in, in all of us life and health and strength and each new day that comes from you. And Lord, we don't want to forget to say thank you. So this morning, that's what we say. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh